0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Oregon fans, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, and joining me on this episode of the podcast is Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks, as well as Locked on Pac-12, and we are here to give you some of our thoughts on Oregon's 38-34 loss to the Oregon State Beavers to close out the 2022 regular season. Uh, We're live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres is where you can find us. Make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. I'm trying to get to 2,000 by thing or not by Christmas. That's my goal. Uh, hopefully, we can make it happen. But appreciate your guys' support as always. Spencer, how we doing?
2: Well, I mean, on a personal level, okay. On a fan level, been better.
1: Yeah, no, it was. Um, I, I was watching some of the highlights again this morning, and I just I can't believe they lost. I mean, it was so. So doable for the second time. So winnable. Um, Definitely didn't give you UW vibes because the defense collapsed just in a way we haven't seen in a while, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But that that's that, you know, feeling of defeat, I feel like and just, you know, the letdown is is kind of right on par with that. And the fact that it was the last game of the regular season and everything else that's happened since the loss is uh, is definitely pretty rough.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a more painful way to end the regular season, uh, not just with a loss to, to Oregon State, of course, which has happened just very infrequently for the last couple of decades. It's the, the way that that it went down and, and not that they lost a close game that they should have won, but that they had a ginormous lead. It was late in the third quarter. You had a three possession lead to begin the fourth quarter and Oregon State couldn't complete a pass. I mean, they completed in the second half more passes to ducks than beavers. And one of those completed passes to a beaver ended up being a fumble. So the fact that the defense just utterly, I I don't know if gave up is the right term, because I'm sure the guys were out there wanting to win, but it it was a collapse. It was an absolute calamity that they allowed Oregon state to run the ball on on them like that. The Beavs made no indication that they were going to suddenly start throwing and we couldn't stop them. I I mean, that was one of one of the worst that in the Washington game. I put this game almost entirely on the defense. Special teams was bad. Offense was bad situationally, but that's how I rank it. One, two, three defense first special team. Second offensive execution. Third, because at the end of the day, the offense put up 34 points and they did some things that i that i did not think were good but you put up 34 points if you're going to be a conference championship caliber cha- conference championship caliber program 34 points should always be enough to win a game i don't care who you're playing against i don't care if you're playing washington i don't care if you're playing oregon state i don't care if you're playing georgia or usc if you want to be at that level if you want to win conference championships get back to rose bowls get to the college football playoff 34 points should always be enough to win you a game. And the fact that it wasn't is really disappointing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Spencer. There's a lot we can get into here. Um, you know, Usually I like to go, oh, hey, let's talk about the offense and defense and kind of some big picture stuff. But we're kind of just going off rip here. And I think that um, we can start talking about the defense. I think that's a great place to put it. Because if you do put up that many points as you know an offense, that should be enough to win the game. Um, especially just with the, the weapons that Oregon state has, uh, I think outside of, you know, Martinez and Treshawn Harrison, like there's really not anybody incredibly special on that team. That's just like, and wow. Even, we, we even
2: just... Treshawn Harrison is like, he's, he's okay. Like if he were on the ducks, he's probably not a top three receiver. He's not, he's not a bad player. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that he was a one time, I think Oregon verbal commit, went to Florida state, came to the Beeves. He's their number one, but like he and Devon Vele both for, for Utah, I don't think he's quite as good as Vele, but I look at Troy Franklin, Chase Coda, and, you know, probably Chris Hudson. I don't think either of those guys w- would see more targets in Oregon's offense than any of those three. So, like, he's a solid weapon. But other than that, there are just no, you know, big, big-time players. Like, Silas Bolden is okay, but really more as a fly-sweep gadget guy than as as a true wide-receiving threat. Like, the passing weapons weren't there. But the passing defense that's been so bad this season, the last two weeks, Max, has been superb. And the defense all around against Utah was amazing. But then the thing that has been their biggest strength all season long just suddenly folded. And I think you have to look at the defense with, with the personnel, but you also have to fault the coaching staff here.
1: Oh, 100%. And you know, the, the point that I was getting at earlier is like there wasn't a guy that was just so – good or just doing so well they're like man like we can't do anything about this like you know we just have to kind of chalk it up you know guy makes a play like consistently um that was part of the reason this was such a shocking result and then to your point I think you kind of jumped ahead of where I was hoping to get um but I mean great minds think alike right the fact that the defense won them that game against Utah and then they had three they forced three turnovers in this game against Oregon State and they still weren't able to get it done and the the just complete I don't even know the right word. I was going to say transformation, but that's probably not the right word of uh, the the run defense just getting absolutely eviscerated after being top top 2 for either the top run defense or the number 2 run defense in the conference the entire year and then like you were saying they were giving no indication that they were going to switch things up and pass the ball. It was literally like Oregon was on the opposite side of a couple games from earlier this season. I want to say the BYU game maybe it was or the UCLA game. When when Lanny was saying, you know, we were able to line up in fourteen J or you know l- line up in a certain look and say we're running it and there's nothing you can do to stop it and that's exactly what happened to Oregon and they have the bodies to stop the run and 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 um, they just they just couldn't do anything.
2: Yeah, the the only explanation because the Oregon State has a good offensive line, you can't look at the caliber of players Oregon has compared to Oregon State and say. Yeah, well, you just – you got you got outclassed. I, I've seen a lot of swirling narratives about, like, you know, oh, I can't wait for this defense once Lanning gets his players in there. There's a smidgen of truth to that, but there's enough talent there that this should be better than this in the Washington game and in this game. Do they need to upgrade in some areas? Yes. I think Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley are solid players, but are they dominant forces on the interior? No, they are not. I think D.J. Johnson – is a solid pass rusher. Is he a dominant player? No. Doorless is like the closest thing to it. But even he has long stretches where he just kind of vanishes and you don't hear from him for a while. But then he has these these sequences where it's like, oh, that's the best defensive player on the field. So can they upgrade in that sense? Yes. But is that personnel, are those groups, is that group of guys so short of the talent we hope that Lanny and company are going to be able to bring in in the coming years? that this is at all justifiable, not even close, not even close. Like those, you know, DJ Johnson was a mid to high four-star recruit. Brandon Dorlis was a three, but he's playing like a like a four or five. Casey Rodgers, Jordan Ryler kind of like three-star guys like that. But w- when we talk about recruiting, it always matters, right? Because why can't, say for instance, um, why can't Cal compete with Ohio State? because they don't have as good of players, and they would get mauled up front, right? Because they don't have the bodies up there. And in theory here, Oregon has superior personnel in the front seven compared to what Oregon State has in the offensive line. They've done a very good job of developing that unit, but the the long-winded point I'm trying to make here is there is never a matchup within the Pac-12 where Oregon should look like they are outclassed. And what was frustrating about the Utah games a season ago was just that, right? And I think we saw Lanny and company do a really good job of making adjustments and ultimately getting, getting that win, right? It, w- it was different in terms of what they were doing schematically. And that was a welcome change because last year you look at it, you say, wait, why is this team that has as much or more talent than every conference opponent they are going to play this season – why are they getting outclassed? I don't expect you to win every single game, but you should never look like you are outclassed, like you are outmatched, right? The Georgia game, that's okay. I mean, you know, 49 to three, not okay. But if you get outmatched in that game or outclassed, that it's Georgia, okay? Not a surprise. That, that Yeah, that's not a surprise. But when it happened twice against Utah last year, you look around going, what the hell are we doing? What, like, how how did, not that you lost the game twice, how did you lose and weren't competitive twice? And with Oregon State, I think it's even worse because though they're in year five with Jonathan Smith, they're not bringing in high-level players. They don't have NFL-caliber offensive linemen there. And so Oregon, at the end of the day, just got out-schemed and could not make adjustments despite having sufficient personnel to at least slow them down. And I've never seen a running game be used to overcome a 21-point Deficit in just over a quarter. I've I've literally never seen that in any football game, ever.
1: I think that that result is like what Mario Cristobal envisioned, like the like the epitome of a run game. Like, look at how far a run game can get us. Like, that's yeah. kind of where I felt like the offense was at last year. But there are a couple points that you made that I want to stick on. Um, Oregon allowed 268 rushing yards this year. That's the season high to any opponent but they did have the personnel to, to perform much better. And you talk about the recruiting, which is always so, so important, but it's only half the battle. Once those guys get on campus, then you have to develop them to make sure that they're fitting in your scheme properly. And, you know, you're getting them where they need to be because um, you know, I think it's a point that's been made a couple of times, but it's, maybe it's worth repeating when coaches come in they're not always working with quote unquote, their guys, right? Like that's why it's so important that this 2023 class look at what they're doing. You know, they're loading up on the defensive line. They're loading up on edge rushers. They got Johnny Bowens, uh, you know, within the last week or so and he's a big time talent on the D line. So I think, you know, there's, there's some kind of uh, wiggle room there, but I mean, not to, to this degree, you know, you don't excel against the run the entire year and then just completely fall apart in one game um, because they're not your guys that's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm just kind of trying to, you know, look big picture and, you know, talk a little bit about the the recruiting and how that's obviously uh, a big role. And, you know, the offensive line has been pretty solid under Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, over these past five years. And are they bringing the same caliber of player that Oregon is? No, they're not certainly not along the offensive line, but you know, that's just, I think an instance where to some degree, you just have to tip your cap because I think that, you know, Jonathan Smith is very much a, a do less do, uh, do more with less kind of a coach. I think just because that's the coach you need when you're coaching at Oregon State.
2: Yeah, and and I I think Jonathan Smith is a really good coach. I, I mean, you look at what he's done. He took it over, and I I know we all remember that game, formerly known as the Civil War, in 2017. Like I would I was at that game, and I mean it was awesome on the one hand, but it was also It it was pathetic. Like, it was a pathetic football team that Oregon State had. They should have gone 0-12. I mean, it was, to this day, one of the worst Power 5 football teams I've seen right there with this year's Colorado team. Though I think this year's Colorado team was a little bit better. That Oregon State team only beat Portland State, and they squeaked by them. It was was a total mess. And it was a mess at a program, not a program, a program that – is not a perennial power, is not a recruiting power. And Jonathan Smith has come in, and he won two games, and then he won four, then he won five, then he won seven, now he's won nine. That is a really impressive thing. I think he's a really, really good coach, and that is certainly a component as to why Oregon ended up losing this game. Because I think Lanning and his staff got worked in the third end of the third quarter to, to when the game finally ended, by a staff that has been doing this for several years, versus he and his guys who have been doing it for not even a full set, now a full season uh, of course. But I think that was a pretty big, a big glaring weakness in the game. You know, not kicking a field goal in the first half and trying a cutesy little pop pass on fourth and three, right? Okay, Going yeah. forward is one thing, one thing, but running that play to someone who hasn't been in that sort of situation all season long in Troy Franklin, like you've run jet sweeps and pop passes to, to Chris Hudson, but you haven't done it to Troy Franklin. And then suddenly you pull it out in that crucial spot. That's a growing pain of having a young off, young offensive coordinator who is, who is of course down at Arizona state now, which I don't begrudge him for it's his dream job. He was very emotional about it. Like he did a lot of great things for Oregon. Now we gotta go find a new OC. It's the nature of being successful and a nationally relevant program. People are going to come for your coaches. They always have. They always will. That's how this goes. So I, I just think that Lanning is still learning some things, still learning about when do you kick, when do you not, when do you. you. But the biggest thing that they've got to be able to improve upon coaching is adjusting defensively because against making in-game adjustments, they come in with really good game plans. They came in with a game plan that, though not perfect, was good enough to beat Washington, was good enough to beat Oregon State. But then the coaches on the other side, the more experienced head coaches, Kalen DeBoer is in his third year as a head coach. He's done a lot. He's a really good X's and O's guy. Jonathan Smith is in year five as a head coach. They made in-game adjustments to their plan of attack, and Lanning and Lupoy specifically on the defensive side of the ball haven't done it. The reason the Utah game, I think, went well is they got a little bit stubborn, Utah did, in what they were doing. Oregon also dominated the point of attack much better against that Utah def- or the- against that Utah offensive line. But I thought the Utes, and Oregon deserves some credit, but I thought the Utes, if I'd been a, a Utah fan in that game, I would have said, man, it seems like we're not making an adjustment. Right? And when another coach makes an adjustment in-game, we've got to be able to counter, and I think Lanning and Lupoy are – you know, working on, on that sort of thing. Lupoy hasn't been in DC in a while. Lanning hasn't been a head coach before. It's concerning, but it's not, you know, throw in the towel, panic. This is it like, no, they've made adjustments throughout the course of the season and they have to continue to get better at that. And if given time, I think they can.
1: And and one of the things too, that comes to mind, Spencer is, you know, a common point from Lanning Following almost every game, maybe not every single game, but almost every game this year. What has he said? Great game, but don't feel like we've played a complete game or like we feel like our best football is still ahead of us. And he said it all season long. All season long. And that was obviously something that they had only been able to do, you know, once or twice, you know, just really sound, commanding wins. Like, you know, the Colorado game, I think, is one you can point to, but that's against the worst team in the Pac 12. So what can you really draw from that? So, like, that's something that that, uh, you know, comes down to the coaches, quite frankly. So I I think we can can maybe split this up into maybe some offense and special teams and then some coaching. But I want to take a quick break here for those of you listening to us on the audio platform. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football talk with my guy Spencer McLaughlin after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. you need indeed.
1: Welcome back to the Duck Stage Podcast. I'm your host Max Torres, breaking down Oregon's 38-34 loss to Oregon State to close out the regular season. Spencer, we started talking in the kind of the first half of the show about the defense, which I think was really the story of you know the the culprit in Oregon's collapse here that really did kind of feel like TCU levels of collapse. Um, but we got to talk a little bit about the offense and a little bit about the special teams too. Um, Because Oregon's offense did enough, but there were still some head-scratching play calls like that, uh, you know, fourth down run with Troy Franklin that you mentioned. I was also just wondering, like, he hasn't done that in the entire year. Why are you doing it now? Um, You could talk about how aggressive Lanning was on on fourth down, 0 for 5 in this game. And, uh, you know, he he mentioned it earlier in the season. You know, we're we're sitting here talking about how the fourth, kind of not praising them, but, you know, the fourth down aggressiveness worked and paid off. And then, you know, you got to be able to take your lumps when it doesn't. But it felt like in this game in particular, there were times when they didn't need to push the envelope and be aggressive. And, you know, as the collapse just got worse and worse, you know, those risks and gambles that didn't pay off really came back to bite them even that much more.
2: Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with every attempt. I didn't even have a problem with the fourth and one. I'm sure a lot of people did. I did not. I didn't have a problem with it against Washington. I didn't have a problem with it against Oregon State. Because if Noah Whittington doesn't slip, he's probably got the first down. And if Bo Nix makes the right read, he's probably got the first down. Like, Bucky Irving has got the first down. And Bo admitted that after the game. He said, yeah, if I could do that again, I'd give it off to Bucky Irving, right? So I I think that when, when it comes down to that, that's certainly the risk, is you have to be able to execute in those critical moments. And if just one thing doesn't go right, then you're not there. But, you know, think back to to the BYU game, those critical Fourth down conversions. And, you know, maybe we bust out the quarterback sneak, which was basically unstoppable, except one time against Washington State all season long with Bo Nix, if if Bo's ankle is fully healthy and he was more healthy in this game, but still was clearly not uh, 100 percent. But, you know, I, I thought going into the game, Max, that it was going to be the running game that would decide it, which it did. And I think Oregon's rushing attack the last few weeks stumbled ever since bonex got hurt i mean we ran for over 300 yards against washington go find me the record of teams that run for over 300 yards that are not the the military academies running the triple option like you just don't lose games like that very often and the reason that the running game suddenly couldn't execute in critical moments is because the quarterback keeper has been a part of it all season long and oregon state could just run the football because they don't have a quarterback who runs like that and it's not a part of their scheme and I think it gives you a higher ceiling as an offense when your quarterback can move, but that's the risk you run, right? The, the risk you run is if your quarterback gets hurt and that's taken away, it handicaps your offense significantly. And I think that's why Oregon struggled to run the ball in the last couple of weeks compared to what we saw all season long. It, it, it's, a, it's the worst possible nine and three season imaginable. You're not competitive against Georgia, and then your two losses are to your two big rivals. Like, it could not be a worse 9-3 and three outcome. It is as low as you could possibly go. But I think it's important to keep perspective, and I talked about this a lot on today's episode of Locked on Ducks. How close was Oregon to being 11-1? Right there, right? Couple mistakes, couple plays, but frankly, I think it's just a Bo injury, Max. I think it is a Bo injury away. If Bo doesn't get hurt against Washington... Every time he was on the field, the Huskies defense didn't get a stop the whole time. So if Ty Thompson isn't out there, Oregon probably goes down the field and has at least a chance at a game winning field goal. I think they probably win that game. If he's not injured in this game, I think Oregon's able to run the ball more effectively, ice the clock or run run the clock a little bit more and be able to to ice the game a bit if he's able to run, but he wasn't. And Oregon State, to their credit, did a great job with their front four and their linebackers. Their defensive coordinator, Trent Ray, is really, really sharp. And that just, you know, limited what Oregon can do offensively compared to what they've done all season long. And I I, I really think it's that simple, right? And even with all that, you still had a really good chance against Washington, and unfortunately they blew it. I mean, a bad snap against Washington probably cost them the game. Bo was just standing there handing it off. And on second and five, you have a bad snap or else it probably becomes third and two, and then they probably convert again, score touchdown games over Oregon state. If you don't have a drop punt, if you don't, I mean, a lot of things had to go wrong, but just like one or two plays in each game, it's a razor thin margin. So it feels, I think a lot worse than it is because it's not as if Oregon wasn't still close to having a championship caliber season in the PAC 12, because they were, whereas a season ago, as the games went on you're like man feels like they're kind of operating on a thin margin here and then boom you run into a good team in Utah and you get housed i think this was much you know even though the record is one game worse i think the results overall have been better because they were closer to winning a Pac-12 championship this year than last year in terms of what their team is and how they performed on the field
1: and they weren't even in the they're not even going to be in the Pac-12 title game but i think that's a very well-made point um I think that I'm I'm definitely willing to chalk up the Washington loss to Bonex getting hurt, but not so much the Oregon State game. Um, just because I think the offense did do enough, like we have been talking about. And against Utah, Oregon was only able to get 59 yards on the ground, but against Oregon State, it really wasn't all that bad. Um, 160 sorry, 143 yards uh total on the ground. But you know, there were definitely some execution errors by the offense and And I I totally agree with your point on on uh, Bo being limited, you know, his injury limited the offense, he wasn't able to run like he usually does, um, which I think really handicapped them. Um, But a a part of it too is just Oregon State playing, you know, playing better football at the end of the day. Um, There was a really good question that I wanted to get to real quick here from Gerard Spencer. Gerard asks, "Was OSU 2022 similar to Utah 2021 in that due to distractions, Cristobal didn't bother creating an effective game plan in 2021 and Dillingham in 2022?"
2: Nope, 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 nope. Not similar at all. So, I I understand that that mindset, Gerard. I I, I totally get it. And if if you feel like a couple of details slip through the cracks, you know, getting predictable with play calling in in the second half and, you know, not being as multiple or creative as they usually have been. I think you can partially attribute that to Bo being uh, still not at a hundred percent. I think you can also say, look, maybe a couple details and key moments fell through because Dillingham had, you know, only 80% of his attention on, on the game instead of, instead of 100. I I get that, but Max just touched on it. This game is not on the offense. And they came in with a game plan and an approach and execution for over two and a half quarters. That was good enough to win this game by multiple possessions on offense. And though Dillingham is leaving the Arizona State and it was quick and it doesn't feel great, I, like I, I understand all that sort of stuff. But last year against Utah, Oregon was never competitive from the jump. Oregon scored early on Oregon State then struggled for a little while, but was moving the ball, just couldn't execute in the red zone. And then they scored before the half, and then they got a turnover the score coming out of the half, and then they scored again. Like, the game plan was there, whereas a season ago, the team was never ready. But the offense was ready and performed at a level that should be good enough to win the game. But it was the defense where they were lacking, and that's where the focus has to be. So I see why you have that connection, but I I do not agree at all because Oregon was literally never competitive with Utah a a year ago. I mean, they, they never scored. They just never, they never scored in the first half. They had like three points, I think combined in the first half. Not the same.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to repeat too much, but I, I tend to be of the same belief that, you know, the offense wasn't great, but they did enough to win this game. So uh certainly doesn't help that they had that, you know rumor swirling around. You know that was probably already done before the game. That's just kind of how things go. Oh, lovely. We got some dirty comments. We're gonna go ahead and try to. We call those bots. There you go. some bots. Um, but we took care of it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that that's worth mentioning too much more. Um, but uh, the the other thing that I was gonna mention here is we could talk about the defense and the special teams. I think that a big part of this loss, falls on the coaches because they weren't able to make adjustments. Like there's no reason that Oregon yeah. State we should have been able to run the ball the way they did. And then the the special teams blunders, I'm not saying this loss falls in the special teams, but they deserve part of the blame for this, uh, with you know the blocked punt or the yeah, the, the blocked punt. And then you had the muffed punt as well, I think. And I think that things like that fall on coaches not having their guys prepared and not having their guys locked in. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's definitely worth a a point as well.
2: Well, I, I think special teams deserves a good amount of, of blame, you know, Hudson, not fielding that ball. Like if, if, if it's not going to fly into the end zone, you can just fair catch it inside. I think the 10 yard line and bring it out to the the 25 or I I always forget NFL college was 2025, but anyway, so he needs to not do that. And that set the offense back. And, but I don't think you can blame coaching for the punter dropping the ball. That's just a guy making a mistake, Like, I I, like that. That's literally Jim Harbaugh is a really good football coach. Was it a coaching error? Like, do you think they coach their punters to to be lax with it or to be nervous? Like Oregon was tensing up in that moment. And a player who hasn't been on the field very much, I believe it was Adam Berry, is just he makes a mistake. He makes a mistake. It ends up being a costly one and you gift Oregon State seven points with that. But prior the offense, not being able to move the ball was was certainly a problem. But the biggest thing is the defense didn't, I don't know how we didn't just put eight guys in the box at some point. How do you not put eight guys in the box and say, I dare you to throw the football Bengal Branson threw two interceptions. And then they just said, you know what, we're just going to run it. And they ran it for what, like 15 yards of carry in the second half. I mean, it was absurd. It, it it was it was absurd that they didn't make any adjustments at all. They just they kept having some deep safeties. You know, well, what if they throw? So what if they throw? You cannot let them keep doing what is working and what they want to do. And the the fact that it was not, I, I'm serious. You should have just gone eight men in the box and let your corners go out on an island, play cover zero. I didn't see it with Oregon corners when they did throw the ball get burned, beat get burned badly in this game. You, you make Oregon State do that. You have to force them to be balanced. It was just infuriating. It's like, wait, they're running the same three plays, and we're just not, and we're just not adjusting. And you know, it felt a little bit like the Washington game. We were running soft zone. It wasn't working, and we kept running it over and over again. And it's just, it's, it's like that scene in B movie when the Jerry Seinfeld voice B is just banging his head against the wall. Maybe this time, this time, this time, this time, this time. Like, no, insanity is trying the same thing and expecting a different result. And we tried the same thing over and over and over and over again and got the same result.
1: Which is so, so weird because I feel like during the season at various times, we were praising this coaching staff for making adjustments on a week-to-week basis. But the in-game adjustments clearly were not there in uh, the loss to, to the Beavs. So, I want to wrap it on this, Spencer? Kind of the last question for us. So, Oregon finishes the regular season nine and three. Just as easily could have been eleven and one. Just as easily could have been seven and five with uh, close wins to Washington State and uh, and uh, Utah. Um, you know, both of those were three point wins. I want to say very close either way. Yeah. Um, but what's what's next for this this program? And then, kind of how you how you feeling right now?
2: trying to understand or, or remember, I should say, and get people to understand that, it, you know, the sky is not falling here. This is not, you know, man overboard. Oh my gosh. Everything's about to spiral down and get out of control. Like, no, it's growing pains for a young head coach who is a first time head coach. And that that's, that's just the way that this sort of stuff goes. I think we talked about it more in the abstract is, this season was was going on about like, well, you know, they're going to be some growing pains. There's going to be, you know, that sort of stuff when you hire a young first time anything. And I think they came to fruition, unfortunately, against Washington and against Oregon State. But I don't think anybody's as ticked off about it as Dan Lanning. I mean, I watched this game press conference, Max, and every time the Ducks lose, as they did twice in the last three weeks, they they have or Lanning has had a tendency to just seem more motivated to just be more driven. And that's been his MO since before he even got to Georgia is the guy is just a go-getter. He is a sink your teeth in and get into the nitty gritty of it and work harder and just try and be better. And I think he's going to continue to be better. And there's some mistakes he made this season. There are also a lot of good things that he did this season, like this year's Oregon team better than last year's Oregon team, even though there's a lot of the same players. It's important to remember that even though there are still areas of growth, you still have a chance for a 10 win season, which is, you know, never a bad thing to be able to put up. I love college football bowl season. I would love to have a good matchup and, you know, get a glimpse at, at players who might be more prominent next year. Cause you'll probably have some guys sit out and get ready for, for the NFL draft, which is just the reality of, of college football nowadays. So, and, and I think we saw that in the Alamo bowl last year, right? I mean, Troy Franklin had kind of a breakout gain and, Chris Hudson had a big game and Dante Thornton had a big game and Jeffrey Bassa had a good game. And those are all guys we've been talking about a lot this season. So I think there's, there's plenty to watch for in the bowl game. And hopefully it's a, it's, it's a good matchup. You know, I, I think there, there are a lot of different ways they can go. It depends on how the PAC 12 championship game goes. You know, if, if Utah wins, then there'll be probably two teams in the new year six from the PAC 12. I think there probably will be anyway, because if USC wins and goes to the playoff as they should, then Washington probably gets the Rose bowl and then Utah is probably, and then Utah be Alamo bowl. And then for the ducks, it'd probably be the sun bowl or the, the holiday bowl. I'd rather have the holiday bowl personally, but um, that's, that's, that's just me. So I, I think there's, you know, one more football game that we get to watch. You only get to watch, you know, 13 to 14 or 15 of them in, in a given year. So I always enjoy them and want to look for, you know, stuff to to talk about in the off season, but Overall, it's still a successful year one for Dan Lanning and company, because just because a team was good before and a head coach leaves doesn't mean the guy they bring in is going to have success. Look at Jay Wright leaving at Villanova basketball. They're two and five. Brent Venable is going to Oklahoma. What they finish six and six.
1: Something, Not great. something
2: like something like that, like it's not a given. So even though the cupboards were stocked well for landing in the staff in year one, it's still an encouraging sign that they played at this level really since the Georgia game. And I think that there's, there's still a lot to look forward to, uh, you know, going forward with Dan landing at the helm.
1: Yeah. I I think that year one is still overall a success. I think kind of my guiding, you know, not principle, but my, you know, Mark, I guess you could say for the season was, you still want to be in contention for the Pac-12 title um, just because that's the level that Oregon's gotten to, and that's the expectation. And with the roster that they had, the coaches that they had, that was certainly a, a possibility. So on that note, I think that it was a success, but obviously there's plenty uh, plenty to work on and improve from year one to year two under landing, and, and there was definitely a lot of stuff that went well. Um, we, we saw the defense turn it on towards the end of the year in terms of forcing turnovers. Which I thought was, uh, you know, an improvement. The pass rush still wasn't there. You really have really gotta that that secondary needs a ton of work, and that, I, I was of that belief before the season started. Uh, especially, you know, big question mark now, seeing uh, what they're gonna do with Christian Gonzalez probably going to the NFL. Um, you know, kind of stands to reason that he would probably do that. But that's why we gotta follow everything, and that's why we gotta follow recruiting um, because I expect this staff to be incredibly aggressive on defense in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, once the once the window opens. Um, you know, in the next month or so um, over the next month or so, but yeah, overall a good season, you know, definitely leaves a sour taste in your mouth with the way things on, uh, you know, kind of the wheels fell off uh, is definitely reminiscent to last year, but.
2: But it's not, year, but it's not the exact same. It is it's not. It is, yeah, it's not. It is not the, the exact making. same. Like, yes, you have multiple losses after a college football playoff situation through the first couple months of the year. And then that takes you out of it with those two losses. But last year, It was a complete and utter disaster of a game. This was two disastrous fourth quarters. That is different. That is much, much different. They were much closer this year. Just didn't go their way, unfortunately.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, and I didn't want to say that it was, you know, completely like last year, but part of it feels like last year in the terms of just you know how promising it was and then how things started to unravel a little bit, but yeah, not the exact same situation, but uh, certainly a tough way to end the season. Uh, Spencer, before we get out of here, uh, go ahead and tell the people where they can find more of you and your work and, and what you have going on in the college football space
2: at smalls underscore 55 is my personal Twitter handle. And I host locked on PAC 12 and locked on ducks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts, five days a week, so much stuff on locked on PAC 12, a lot of stuff on ducks right now as well. And that will continue all off season, but I, I tell you what the PAC 12, is jam packed pun intended with storylines right now dillingham to asu deon sanders has been offered the colorado job he has not accepted um but that's a potential david shaw is out at stanford usc could get into the playoff if usc wins washington's probably in the rose uh, there's just there's just so much stuff and and it's a blast but always good to be on with you max and good to good to see and, ev-
1: and talk to everybody out there go ducks Absolutely. Well, thanks for taking some time, Spencer. If you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at MTOurus Sports. That's the quickest way to get my updates on all things Oregon football and Oregon football recruiting. Uh, go ahead if you're on the live live stream, go ahead and like the video and subscribe to the channel. And you can find me on YouTube at Oregon Football torres Written content on ducksdigest.com. And do us a favor and share the Ducks Dish podcast with your friends, with your family, with other Duck fans. That'll do it for us on this episode of the Duck's Dish podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.